Welcome back to a new episode of Power Collectors. My name is Hopper, your host. And on short notice, I was unable to get an interviewee today. So I guess I'm going to try something new and interview myself. So Hopper is going to interview John, the MBA. Um, for those of you that are new to the channel, why don't you introduce yourself, John? How did you get started and become a power dealer collector? Well, that's a good question. Um, let me think back to the early 90s when I dropped out of college, went over to Japan, tried to become an English teacher but failed because I didn't have a college diploma and I wasn't willing to fake one like a lot of the English teachers in Japan were doing backpacking around Asia at the time. So I found myself back on my buddy's, my college buddy's couch, my best friend from the first year in the dorms at University of California, Santa Barbara, the guy that became a coach. He's been on the podcast before, Shock, and he introduced me to sports, and we became buddies, drinking buddies, sports buddies, fans, college basketball, you know, freaks pretty much. We never missed a game. And I was sleeping on his couch, homeless, like I am today, trying to start up a bunch of companies, same situation, everything repeats itself. And I said, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just open a freaking card shop. And that was basically after buying a couple boxes, maybe one box of 90 hoops at Costco for 10 bucks, which was known as Price Club at the time. And I opened the box and said, wow. I can pull $20 worth of cards if I could put them out for two bucks a pop or whatever. A couple Jordans, a couple Magic Johnsons, whatever, David Robinson. So did some quick math on one little box and said, let's open a card shop. So that's how I got in. It was basically poverty, low income, desperation, opportunity, and, you know, taking a passion and turning it into one of the riskiest ventures I've ever done. Fast forward to today, I've run i don't know 12 to 15 companies and most of them all failed a couple are still around and i'm always starting up a couple more so i still haven't made it in my mind even though i've been entrepreneuring and been a power dealer for 30 years and a power collector a failed power collector for 50 years so the goal with the channel is to interview other successful power collectors and try to figure out how to become a master. If you're new to the channel, that's our goal, is to expose factors that influence your power collection and help you become a master. How do we do that? We focus on the problems and then we try to find solutions. So today, the Federal Reserve, if you're listening from another country. We're talking about the big bank in America that lends money to all the other banks and controls the economy through interest rates and either printing or sucking up money, usually in the form of bonds. I know that sounds really complicated, but so John, what, what does that mean? Printing money or sucking money or the money party is over? I think that's the biggest factor today. I think that's a great question. It's a really big question. It's a complicated question. And let's start at the macro and then drill down on assets. 
So first of all, the Federal Reserve has a balance sheet, and that is what is all the big news this week and last week and uh, all the softness in all the markets is because that balance sheet is up near $9 trillion, and it's a picture or a representation of money printing, stimulus, whatever you want to call it, steroids, um, and all good things have to come to an end, if you if you consider that a good thing. I mean, it's been an amazing run, even though we had a pandemic recession. Printing money was able to uh, get us out of that quite quickly. But where did that money go? So the first thing to look at is the balance sheet. So you could just Google Federal Reserve balance sheet. So if you look back to 2008, there was below a trillion dollars in total assets. And if you look at the graph, it's not quite a hockey stick, but right after the great financial crisis, what I call the Lehman shock, they jumped right up to 2.2. So they, you know, doubled or tripled the balance sheet. They kept printing, 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 got up to about 2.8, which was right around the bottom of real estate, I do believe. Somewhere around 2011 and 2012 in the United States was the best time to buy a house in the last, I would say, two decades along with gold, silver, stocks, pretty much anything, probably video games as well, cards, no matter what you bought in 2011 and 2012, if you held it to either 2014, uh, you know, pre-pandemic, or even today, you would be up to three, five, 10x, depending on what type of uh, investment, maybe even 100x on something like a raw to certified collectible. So the money printing kept going and going and going for the last, let's say, 22 minus 2008, 13 years straight. Normally, recessions occur every seven or eight, and we did have a little tiny one after the pandemic. I don't even know if it lasted more than a quarter. So what money printing really means is that the money supply, and that's not cash, it's all the money out there increases tremendously. So we went from... Let's less than one trillion to almost nine trillion dollars. So the next question, John, is with all that money printed, where did it end up? And that's something I've been thinking about for a long, long time. I've been thinking about that for years, days, hours and hours and hours because I owe you several podcasts. You're a power collector. You deserve more content from me. But I can't decide what to do now that we're in a negative situation and you are going to be unable to short your possessions or hedge your positions. You can't really hedge collectibles. In the stock market, you can do options and short selling, which is a very high risk. Um, in fact, it has infinite risk if, if a position you know, goes to the moon, you can actually infinitely lose money as the position keeps rising, which probably won't happen in the current situation. But the bottom line is the Fed announced today that they're going to start winding down the balance sheet, raising interest rates to fight inflation and stop buying bonds. What that means is that this hockey stick graph that you look at from, let's say, I mean, man, we were up near 4.5 trillion for quite a while. We plateaued from about September 15th, 2014 to January 1st, 2018. 
and we actually wound down the balance sheet, which I didn't even realize, in 2018 all the way through September 2nd, 2019. It seems like always September, yeah, 9-11. There's always something going on. Then we just hockey-sticked up from $3.7 trillion to $9 trillion. So during that time, money was free. And what I mean by free, what is free money, John? Free money, in my opinion, and I'm not a financial advisor. I'm no longer a tax preparer. Uh, it took me nine years to get my MBA. I got, you know, A's and B's, but I, I got a B, I think, in economics. I was more of a an accounting. I, in taxes, I got straight A's. Anything numerical, I got straight A's or strategic management. But the overall economic theory stuff is kind of uh, mysterious to me, and it's hard to figure out what the Fed is doing. But this hockey stick really meant free money. So I would say from 20, you know, 14 through right today, today is January 26th, 2022, we had a free money party. That free money party is over. So if you have, what do I mean by free money? What I mean is if you have an inflation rate running 7% or 5%, 4%, and you're getting a loan for 3%, or you're buying a bond, you're basically negative on the real rate. The real rate is basically what you're earning less the inflation rate. So if your collectibles are going up 5% right now and the inflation rate's 7, you're running a negative 2. But if you borrow money at, let's say, 3% and you're earning um, 8%, you know, you're doing great because that's free money. You're getting the free 4 or 5 spread. And I do believe that is what helped with the quote-unquote bubbles that we can now look back on and probably argue that Carl Jobs might have been right in the video game market, although I would personally disagree on bad actors as the reason or business ethics. Because when you follow the money, you're always going to find bad apples. You're always going to find shady things going on behind things like the Federal Reserve, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, uh, Lehman Brothers, um, you know, Washington Mutual disappearing and Chase becoming the biggest bank overnight during the great financial crisis. There's going to be stuff like that. There's going to be stories like that where big actors swallow smaller actors and there's sob stories and, you know, things aren't as ethical as you think they're supposed to be regulated by the SEC. And in collectibles, the only people I know regulated by the SEC are the fractional share companies. So we don't really have a measure of where the money went in collectibles, not like a Dow Jones, a NASDAQ, a median home price. So let's go over what we really do know. We know that $9 trillion was printed. That doesn't mean that only $9 trillion flowed into the economy um, through stimulus or bonds, which trickled down to loans issued by banks because they can do, use leverage. Banks are allowed to, you know, I worked at a bank. We had $25,000 in our teller box. There was three tellers at a time. So we had less than a hundred grand in a Bank of America, large branch in wine country. In the, in the vault, I don't know, maybe we had another hundred grand, but on the books, we probably had millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars of deposits. So that, that's called leverage right there. It means that you're, the bank's allowed to keep a little bit of cash and loan out a shit ton of quote-unquote money. And 
I pulled out an EIDL and jumped into WADA. I know some other people are using credit cards to invest in collectibles. I mean, if you can get a HELOC at 2% and buy comic books, coins, and cards that are going up 10, 20, 30, 40% up until now, I guess that's a smart thing to do as long as you're making more than the interest you're paying out. I haven't really paid out much interest. I would say over the last 10 years, I paid out five grand in interest, but I've made, you know, 20 to 100 grand a year. So it's been worth it. So the question is, we don't really know how much of the debt has gone into these asset bubbles. But what we can do is look at the bubbles themselves and kind of compare that to the money printing graph, which goes almost straight up since since a pandemic and, you know, a crazy increase over the last eight years on the on the printing balance sheet. We can look at equities and, and we, we can look at this. And, and besides the, uh, the drop after the pandemic, you can just look. Let's say the money printing started in the great financial crisis where there's a drop. I'm looking at the S&P 500. It peaked out, you know, around 1500 before the great financial crisis. It dropped down to 735, no matter what stock you had bought. If you had, you know, grabbed your sack and went all in January 30th, February around there 2009 and if you would have held till 2015 2020 till today you would have been probably independently retired you know financially what is it fire financial independence retire early but everybody says you can't time the market so what we can do is measure the market we can say well when they started printing the S&P 500 was 800 to 1000 and today it's 4,300, but it peaked out at 47. So it did a four to five X, right? And that's a massive amount of money because we're talking about a $42 trillion market cap. So if it did, um, you know, let's say it was a 10 to $40 trillion jump, we're talking $30 trillion increase during a nine, let's say an $8 trillion money printing um, event. If we call it an event, let's just call it a period, a period of 12 years. So that would imply that uh, on the equity side, there was at least a 3x margin. There's also earnings in there that get reinvested. So don't take that to the bank. That's just an opinion to say, well, how much leverage is out there? We're going to find out in March or April when uh, the, the commercial real estate um, reporting requirements come home to roost and for the first time since the pandemic, we're actually going to be able to see all the real estate across America that's commercial and all the properties and how hard they're bleeding and all that. That's going to be a wake up call as well. Let's look at the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ got down to 1500 um, and now we're, you know, we're up 13. It peaked out over 15. So the NASDAQ did a 10x and that's your high tech companies, the companies that actually have the most growth potential as well as the highest earnings because they have the thickest gross margin. They produce things like software um, that you can simply copy and just, you know, feed the masses with millions of copies and make sick, sick margins. Things like iPhones and uh, iTunes, Netflix, Microsoft, LinkedIn, social media companies, all these companies flew high. They did a 10x during the money printing bubble. You could call that a bubble. I think 10x, you, hands down, you could call a bubble. So we had a high tech, big tech bubble, um, you know, since the great financial crisis, thanks to this nice little steroid of 10, well, let's say $8 trillion that the Fed created. 
out of thin air, by the way. And who owns the Fed? I don't know. That's a whole nother podcast, but we're not going to go there today. Um, let's look at the Dow Jones. The Dow Jones is you're going to be your industrial, your value stocks, the things that people are running to now. And all this stuff peaked out, you know, pretty much Q, Q4 2020. 2021, Q4, yeah, Q4 2021, it all peaked out. It follows the balance sheet of the Fed almost to a T, and now the balance sheet of the Fed is going to drop as well. So, you know, everything petered out right around the end of the year in 2021, if you're listening to this far off into the future. So let's look at the Dow Jones. What we know is it was down to maybe, let's say, a little above 7,200 after the great financial crisis, and it got up to 37. So, I mean, that is just a scary multiple. What is that? A seven times four, five, almost a five X on the Dow Jones with a 10 trillion market cap. So you could say there that we added what a five X. So it went from two to 10 and um, you're talking eight trillion dollars flowed into the Dow Jones. So we're talking trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. And a trillion would be a thousand billion. A billion is a thousand million. It's just a number you can't measure. It's it's like flying over or into Vegas or Los Angeles and trying to count every damn house you see and then multiply that by a million or something. It's just a crazy, crazy amount of money that has flowed into these asset bubbles. And we're just talking equities. I'm not even going to talk about bonds today because I don't even know much about bonds. I do know that bonds are paying out, you know, somewhere you know, south of 2% with inflation running at seven. So people are going to bleed out in the bond market. And that is going to be just carnage because as interest rates rise, your old bonds that are a low fixed rate are going to drop in value and people are going to bleed. So I talked to a power collector, a power investor that went very heavy into video games. He's going to continue doing the same thing he's always been doing, looking for the deals, looking for those nine eights, looking for that high end uh, unicorn type stuff, uh, trophy type stuff. He's not really changing, but he's he's changing his normal investing strategies, and I'll get to that later. But in terms of carnage, he said it's going to happen everywhere. And after the great financial crisis, even gold and silver went down. Of course, equities went down, Dow Jones went down, NASDAQ went down, gold, silver dropped, you know, real estate cratered. It was a nightmare. I was uh, I was starting up one of my eBay businesses in Las Vegas, selling coupons off the strip. We would go to the strip, rip open all the books we could find, pull out all the two-for-one coupons, the food coupons. We're talking, you know, really, really decimated. And and people would buy coupons for 5 to $10, and that's how I started up the current eBay run that we've had. Then we moved to the 99-cent store selling CDs and DVDs. Then uh, we finally moved over to Target, Fry's, Staples, started doing laptops, and then the Wii came out, and that's when we started video games. It's been a long ride all the way from 99-cent coupons. I'd say free coupons. Let's look at Bitcoin. The graph doesn't even go back to 2008. Let's just assume it was like $100. I got a graph here back to, let's say, 2013, 136. I'm sure it went down you know, below 100. I, I, know, I know there was friends that were having a poker night once, when it was like a dollar, when someone got recommended and and people couldn't believe it. But it peaked out at $69,000. So, you know, we're beyond a 69X. We're beyond a 6900X. Uh, what is that? Is that like a, a 10,000X on Bitcoin? 
So definitely Bitcoin is in a bubble. It's beyond 10x. It's beyond 100x during this printing party. And it's been crashing like you wouldn't believe. It peaked out. Um, let's see here. It peaked out 69,000 Q, Q4 2021. Everything peaked out Q4 2021. I think video games did too. Cards. I'm not sure about comics, but sports cards are still dropping. November 9th. So we've come down to, uh, you know, we're almost looking at a 50% crash. And by the way, John, MBA, what is a correction versus a bull market versus a crash? That is a great question. In my opinion, a correction is somewhere around 10 to 20% in the course of one to two to three weeks to months. A, a dip, I would think, would be something like, Less than a 10% correction in the short run. The short run could be a week, like you're watching the Dow Jones in a week, you're eyeing some stocks, you see a 10% dip on one of your targets, maybe a 7% dip, and you buy into that. A correction, you're usually sitting on the sidelines waiting for it to hit bottom and possibly buy on the way down at the bottom and on the way back up. Now, a bear market, you're pretty much parked. You're in the parking lot, the engine's off, you you've got your your gas tank full of uh, cash and you're waiting for stuff like that nine eight a plus plus to come back out you're waiting for a for a clearance sale is what you're waiting for you're waiting for a buyer that got in too high that's panicking and he wants to get out of a really cool investment piece or trophy right so bitcoin was definitely in a bubble um you could even say the first bubble peaked out april 10th 2021 then we had a crash then we had another bubble come up. Um, that first bubble took, you know, let's say three years to develop. The second bubble was really fast, came up, head and shoulders pattern, and we're coming right back down after the second shoulder. I wouldn't touch Bitcoin with a 10-foot pole personally because I don't understand it. Now, the gold price. This is traditionally something we wouldn't call a bubble, but it's a measure of of, I would say, human activity on Earth because there's a finite amount of it and it's one of the most useful metals in the world. I know Warren Buffett says you can put all of the gold in a block the size of whatever and stare at it. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't have any earnings. Well, that's the same as our video games, the same as your cards and comics. You can stare at them and they don't do anything. They don't provide cash flow. They don't pay you rents. They don't give you any dividends. Um, you can't Unless you're really a savvy, high-level investor, you can't like pull out an equity line of credit against them. You can do that for stuff like art collections. And I do know one of the buyers um, of Collector's Universe, one of the owners of PSA, WADA, PCGS, PSA DNA, does have a billion-dollar credit line attached to his art collection. So it's not cash flow, but at least the alternative asset is doing something. It's providing liquidity, which can help him with a war chest going forward because most of the people that are savvy, that are long-term investors, make a ton of money during crashes. And that's where you have assets that could be as much as 50, 60, 80% off. So let's look at gold because it's a steady thing that really gives us an idea of where the economy 
stands as far as money printing because you can't print gold, right? You can mine it, and usually most of the mined gold is just swooped up immediately into either jewelry or industrial or manufacturing because in your iPhone, in your computer, and everything you own in terms of electronics, there is some gold. And you can you can talk about used cars. We'll talk about that next. New cars, trucks, vehicles, machines, airplanes. It all has gold in it. So I think gold is a real steady um, industrial measurement of kind of the mirror. When you're looking in the mirror saying, have we printed enough money? Well, let's go take a look at gold. So we let's go back to the great financial crisis. Gold came up right before the Lehman shock. It kept going up and up and up and up because obviously at that time, Bitcoin wasn't a big thing. It wasn't a big hedge. So people were hedging into gold because they knew something was fishy in the derivatives markets where people were leveraging up the real estate across America into Wall Street derivatives and gambling with some really, really crazy, I'm thinking 100 to 1 ratios that created a tremendous housing bubble. But but generally, I would call that a derivative bubble. But the, the security in the bubble was housing. So the housing was more of the victim. Um, but if you bought housing after the crisis, you would have done fine. So it's interesting that gold peaked right before the global financial crisis, and then it came down, let's say November after the crisis. This might be a lesson. If we just hit peak and the crash is here and all bubbles are popping as of, let's say, November, December 2021, that means if the pattern repeats itself, we're looking at a three-month bottoming out on something like a gold or maybe a Bitcoin this time around, which I would consider the modern gold hedge to money printing. So gold had a little bubble up through the crash and then it came down to let's say 700 an ounce. Then it skyrocketed through the crash and at the bottom of the last housing market it peaked again up near 1700. So it did a 2x. Then it came down and normalized as our economy was kind of growing slowly and then when our economy exploded into the pandemic, through the pandemic gold also came up and hit a high around 2000. So it did a 2x. If you look at it peak to trough, if you look at the gold at 727 versus the peak at uh, let's say 2000, which was 2020, um, almost a 3x. I don't know if you would call that a gold bubble, but clearly if you look across the S&P 500, the Nasdaq, the Dow Jones, the gold, uh, the Federal Reserve, balance sheet, you could easily argue that we are in the everything asset bubble or were probably looking forward 2022-2023 if Elon Musk is right about his prediction of a recession coming maybe summer this year, maybe as late as next year. You could say we were in an everything bubble. Carl might be right about the video game bubble, but I don't think that's due to bad actors and unethical behavior in those specific industries. I think it's an overall macroeconomic trickle-down effect of printing money and combining that with leverage because interest rates were kept at an all-time low for, I don't know, what, 13 years straight where we're near 0%. If you owned a bank and you needed money tonight, you could go get it at a 0% rate. And that's what they talk about when they talk about raising rates. They're talking about, what does that mean, John? What is 0%? It means that banks get to borrow 
short-term money at 0%. So you can cover your ass anytime you need to real quick at almost no cost. And that rate is going to come up and that's going to have a trickle-down effect to auto loans, mortgages, which will provide headwinds and breaks on all these other bubbles that I'm going to talk about next. So let's talk about housing. We can all say that we were in a housing bubble up through the Lehman crisis, and that was a long bubble. I mean, that started in the 70s where you got the average median house. Now, John, MBA, what is the difference between median and average? Okay, this is really important to understand. If you're going to study these graphs, look into statistics, it's really important to understand what is median versus average. There is a big difference. Let's say you live in a town where there's 10 houses on the market in any given month. And that's all you have. You have 10 solds, 10 comps. And 10 of those houses sell, half of them sell below 500 grand, the other half sell above 500 grand. That means the middle number is 500 grand. That's your median. Easy to understand. The median means the middle price. But what if two or three of those houses, you're up in the wine country, some of those were wineries that came with like a house and they were selling for $23 million, $34 million. So you had a couple houses sell for a combined $50 million. The rest of the houses sold for somewhere between three and 800. Now, if you take the average, the average is going to be something crazy like $1.7 million. And that doesn't mean anything because that includes the outliers. So when you're talking about the census, the population, sold data, comps, when you're looking at your video game population reports. And by the way, uh, I think some people are working on this. Um, it's a really important thing when you're talking about statistics, especially census and population data. It's really important to know the middle, the median. In other words, the grade where there's an equal number of grades above and below, not the average grade. And what we're talking about theoretically is the top of the bell curve. Whereas the average will not always be at the top of the bell curve. It could be, but I would almost say it's it's very, very rare, if not. So the middle house of a price across America in, let's say, the late 2000 was a quarter million dollars. Then we had the global financial crisis. It came down to 200 at one point. And since then, we've been on a tear and the housing market has just gone up and up and up and up. I mean, even in the pandemic, it, it just came down just a touch, but it kept going up. And I would have to say that money printing and interest rates due to low mortgages just added fuel to the fire. So we came up from, let's say, just above 200 in, in early Q1 2009 up to the peak. And we've gone beyond the peak Q3 2021 up over 400. So we did a 2x. This housing bubble did a 2x. The prior housing bubble that led up to the great financial crisis, if you track that, let's say from 117 Q through 1990, up through Q1 2007, I mean, that's 17 years. That was barely a 2X. So basically, we're talking about an almost identical housing bubble that we had last time. And the question is, how far are we going to drop? What do you think, John? Well, I would say, depending on the market, I remember last time around the, the, the places without any land, let's say like San Francisco, which is actually built on a rock. So there's no additional land unless you're willing to build on a hill. Even that, it's very hard to find. That dropped at least 20% overall. And then your bad markets like Detroit, when the industrial crisis happened and we had offshoring, 
that got down to 60%. You could buy foreclosures maybe below that. I think Las Vegas and Detroit were some of the worst hit areas uh, in the West. I'm not an expert on the Midwest and the East, but I would imagine places like Texas and Florida were you know, 50% lower than they are today. So if you're patient, maybe you can get a 50% off price. Now, I was going to look up car data and... I can say that we're in an asset bubble for sure in used cars. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, I had bought a van, brand new, drove it off the lot, and I've got offers as high as $43,000 on a sticker price of thirty-two during the bubble, which I would say is Q, you know, the peak of the bubble would be Q4 2021. I couldn't find any graphs going back, but I would have to say the median used car price is up over $30,000, which is just absurd and what i heard is i've talked to a lot of dealers and basically you've got these rental car companies and industrial you know um businesses ready to buy cars off the lot for over sticker price so when you have that kind of demand uh the price just continues to climb so to summarize all the bubbles that i can see and measure here we're talking about an S&P 500 bubble. We're talking about a high-tech, big-tech NASDAQ bubble. We're talking about a Dow Jones industrial value stock bubble. We're talking about a gold bubble. We're talking about a median uh, U.S. house price bubble. And we're talking about a used car bubble in the, in the States. And we're also talking about a printing money bubble. So Mabel Carl Jobs was right when he called out a bubble in video games. I don't think it was a video game bubble looking back today. I think we have been in a long, slow bubble that peaked out suddenly. It, it deflated after the pandemic, but then it just it, it reflated tremendously up through Q, Q3, Q4, 2021. And, and what does that mean for collectibles? So this is a this is a question for Hopper. Now, what do you think about collectibles, Hopper? Now, where are the bubbles in collectibles? And that's really hard to talk about because I've been a cheerleader. I've been pro video games for so long, but I will admit that we are coming down across the board in all collectibles. And I just had a conversation with someone that's been doing collectibles from Beanie Babies to Pokemons to sports cards to retail to wholesale to export to pallets to trucks to real estate, to everything. This guy's a savvy power collector investor. And he said the sports card market is just, it's just decimated. And I'm looking at cardladder.com, which got acquired in the bubble. It's another thing that happens in bubbles is you have a lot of companies taking on free, free money to buy other companies. And uh, it'll go the other way around when things get dicey is you'll have companies selling off. So what we saw in Collector's Universe, which I think is the biggest measure of let's say the collectible industry is you got three billionaires come in they have access to billions of dollars and investors with billions more they can invest as much as money as they want into psa wada golden card ladder pcgs psa dna whatever they want to do um, psa magazine whatever they want to invest in they can fund and they do have data available at cardladder.com but you have to subscribe to it it has a little pro mark and um you can get a seven day free trial at cardladder.com which can go back further in the graphs so all you really get to see is basically 
October 26th through today. So I guess that gives you three months of data for free. And I'm looking at the index data and they actually do have an index. Can't tell if it's in a bubble, but if you look down at the list of cards, I'll just go over a few of these. Wayne Gretzky, GOAT, Kareem, GOAT, Tom Brady, GOAT, LeBron, GOAT, Nolan Ryan, Derek Jeter, John. These are all GOATs. So the industry standard, I would say, fund, if you're going to look at collectibles as a fund, as a pool of assets, a pool of money, um, it, it really is going to get measured by GOATs. So I don't really see much, let's say, Panini Prism on here. And that's really funny because the biggest deal in cards ever occurred just recently during the bubble when Fanatics bought out all the manufacturing licenses and they're going to change the game of manufacturing and distribution in a hobby that's one of the oldest on the planet in terms of certified collectibles because PSA really started the authentication, certification, and grading game when Michael Jordan um, proliferated as far as fakes and uh, manufactured fakes in, in the old hobby that I was a part of, which was a nightmare. It was a nightmare, and it's still a nightmare. I mean, you really can't make money in sports cards unless you time the market almost perfectly. It's very, very difficult. Um, it's exciting. It's just a, it's a, a giant casino. I understand that there's a ton of dopamine there. There's a ton of value in terms of entertainment, but as far as a financial investment, I consider it very, very volatile. So looking at the action, um, a lot of these goats are up, but we're talking about just this month. So maybe stuff bottomed out in Q4 and it's coming back now. LeBron James is still down. Let's look at the positions that are still down. Mike Trout, Tim Duncan, LeBron James, Albert Pujols, Dan Marino, Shaquille O'Neal, Dr. J, Walter Payton, Sweetness, Tiger Woods, Ken Griffey, Payton Manning, Kobe Bryant. And even a Babe Ruth card, Jerry Rice. Those are all goats. They have records that will never be broken. Jerry Rice, touchdowns. So, you know, your Michael Jordans, your Wayne Gretzky's, your Kareem's have actually come back. Your Tom Brady's, your Montana, Kevin Durant's, Barry Bonds. And um, I can't see where the bubble happened, but I'm guessing somewhere around February, March, the bubble peaked. And... A lot of cards are down 50% or even more. And that's a crash. That to me is a crash. And if you have a crash, you had a bubble. So I would have to say that cards were in another bubble. I've seen several of those. And the crash has been painful for people that can't afford these GOAT cards. Because these GOAT cards are are massive now. I mean, you need you need five figures just to get started and to put together a portfolio, you need to be a millionaire. So if you're playing around in the prism game and uh, you're, you're investing in players that have never won a world series or a championship or a, a super bowl, it's just straight gambling. So I can say almost for a fact that sports cards hit another bubble in 2021 and the bubble has popped. So what about comic books, coins, video games? I don't have any data. I don't have any um, indexes or graphs or sold data. I could have prepared a very long podcast by drilling down into Terapeak and pulling out goats. And maybe that's a topic for another podcast is to create an index of video game goat games. So, so you tell me, what do you think is a goat game? Obviously, SMB123 maybe a Sonic 1, a Halo. I mean, I can probably come up with the goats, 
The problem is, you know, if you pick a halo, you've got maybe one, two, or three solds in terms of that investment trophy grade that you want to track. I guess you're going to have to track the different grades and somehow build an Expel spreadsheet and then do a percentage change across each excuse me uh, wow <laughs> um you have to do a percentage change across each uh condition and that's kind of what card ladder does because when you look at a michael jordan in the index it's a michael jordan psa 9 it's not a psa 10 because i think they're balancing liquidity liquidity with action and value so you need something that measures the market you can't have really a trophy because that doesn't really measure the liquidity and action in the market like a nasdaq or an s p 500 or a dow jones index which measures daily volume you need volume really to show what's going on so you can't have a low pop card and let's look at the sports card pops uh michael jordan pop 2800 lebron 2100 nolan ryan 2000 uh, Mahomes, 883, 900. So it looks like most of the stuff they chose is somewhere around the 800 to 2000 pop range in terms of an index, if we were to build an index. And I think that would be a dream come true. If someone out there is listening, if some of my listeners are hardcore about the hobbies needing more data, I would love to start up a new company that focuses on creating indexes, just like Card Ladder. But maybe for video games and possibly any other hobbies that don't already have that. So I'm thinking with video games, we're going to have to tone down these numbers and somehow the problem with card ladder is they're not integrating BGS and SGC data to me to get a true population and estimation of the bell curves and the action and the liquidity and the volume. You really need the entire population. You need to have an algorithm estimate that and hopefully um somebody in the hobbies that's listening can uh, do that someday but i guess if you have 800 to 4000 in terms of a population you can get a nice um you know a nice graph a nice market change number so i'm looking at ken griffey 4000 copies so i would say there's at least 5 to 10000 copies in gem mint and he's down 19% over the month. And I could, I could, you know, I can trust that number because I can see if there's five to 10,000 copies, there's probably one of these or two of these or 10 of these selling every single day on eBay. So that is a very, very um, legitimate pulse of the hobby. And it's a $2,000 item just to keep that in mind. Maybe our index is going to be the games that are, you know, maybe not $100,000. Maybe the index should be games that are, 500 1000 1500 2000 dollars kind of like the index at card ladder so card ladder has a lot of value um theoretically they're on the right track but i think being married to collector's universe and psa is a downside because you know take these numbers with a grain of salt although psa rules the show i would love to see something broken out across all the grading companies and remember in video games we have eight slabs a couple of the slabs have gone defunct some are just uh like IGS, I think, quit. They're doing VHS instead. But we have a lot of data to work with in video games. We're going to have to figure out, are we going to consolidate or get married to a larger company and just focus on one set of data? So looking back, 
we had an equity bubble. We had a housing bubble. We had a car bubble. We had a card bubble. I don't know about coins and comics. That's not um, my area of expertise. Now, if one of my listeners out there, power collector like Vinny or Nerdy Girl, um, maybe Josh Enton, the, the lawyer, um, if you'd like to come on, and Eric, if you're listening down in Florida, if you want to come on and talk about the sports card bubble now that we can look back, I would love to know what positions did well, what positions didn't do well, what positions were good for hedging, um, and how the tickets are going and all that. There's a bull market out there somewhere, according to Kramer. If any of you would like to come on and talk about bubbles now, I would love to do that. I would love to help listeners and power collectors become masters by surviving the downturn and using it to their advantage. So let's talk about the assumption that we were in a video game bubble. Carl Jobs was actually right, even though his reasoning was wrong. What can you do as a power collector as we come down and search for a bottom and hopefully come back up in, let's say, three to five to ten years, assuming you're in this long run? Now, if you're in it short run, I think the first thing you can do, this is Hopper and John talking based on a conversation I had with one of the most important power collectors in the hobby. I'm talking video games as well as um, sports cards and Pokemon and real estate. You can trade, and that's what this power collector is doing. And trading is basically, I wish I could show you what my hand is doing right now. But when you look at any real graph, it's never a smooth bubble. It's never a smooth bell curve. It has these fits of rage like a teenager or like like me being bipolar angry one day and calm the next you go up you come down then you go up higher and come down then you go up and you peek out then you come down then you have a shoulders you come back up then you come down lower you find a lower low you're finding a lower low that's what you're coming down now we found our higher highs over the last 13 years and all these asset bubbles and now we're going to start finding the lower lows so what you can do is as you come down it's really easy in stocks you come down let's say you felt the bottom was on friday you buy in on the monday run-up you sell out then you find another bottom buy in so you buy the dip but you sell out right after that right uh, you know right when you when you get a day or two where you come back up in positive territory and you you take small wins often and that's what trading is all about on the way down if you believe that when we hit these dips in the bear markets that we're going to have fits of rage coming back up because all the traders are going to jump in it's it's highly speculative based on trading volume and activity and you can make money as a trader now, I'm not a financial advisor. Uh, if you lose money, it's not my fault. This is my opinion based on what some very savvy power collectors are doing. Now, in terms of collectibles, that's very difficult to do because of liquidity issues. It's very difficult, but you might be able to, for the first time in history, you might be able to pull this off if you can combine predicting record breakers with a fractional share company. So if you want to pursue the trading game, what you can do is open an account at Rally or Otis or maybe some of these other places, hopefully, that are still around. And if you think there's a position, a collectible there that's going to hit a higher high, but it's getting punished because of the current 
economic and Federal Reserve situation in the U.S. markets and the general negative fear-based consensus. Greed turned to fear is really what happened emotionally over the last couple of weeks. Then you might be able to actually trade collectibles for the first time in the history of, um, you know, collecting investing, which is amazing. That's an amazing opportunity. Maybe I will start trying to be more active on rally to see if positions actually ebb and flow like the stock market. So what is something else that you can do now that we look back and say all these bubbles had a couple things in common? Number one, printing money. Number two, inflation. But the question, John MBA, is why? Why does that matter? Well, the reason it matters is inflation, 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 inflation. And that's the announcement today is interest rates will be rising which means everything is going to rise. The cost of borrowing, the cost of doing business, the cost of products, the cost of services. Theoretically, it's all rising. And if we raise interest rates, that tames inflation. So your, your second option is to focus on assets that you think can inflate with interest coming up. So I guess the only example I can come up with, unfortunately, it's not a collectible, but it's rental real estate. So it's real estate where you're going to be able to force appreciation by redoing the leases, or you're going to be able to comfortably raise rents. So as the economy comes down and prices come down, Hopefully, um, real estate comes down and I'll be able to buy my first home someday before I'm a senior citizen. If you are in the rental real estate market, theoretically, I am not a real estate professional. Do not blame me if you make money or lose money. Um, theoretically, you can raise rents. But I question that strategy because if we have a complete and total crash like we had in 2008, and the real estate market is completely dead and people are losing jobs and they can't even sign a lease, how can you raise rents? Theoretically, short-term, you can raise rents. So here's one of the strategies that I think is most common. It's called Burr, buy, refi, rehab, uh, raise the rents or something. And then you can flip it instead of actually keeping it. So that might be some way of forced appreciation. And I'm going to have a podcast coming in terms of forced appreciation. And I think that's something we have unique in video games because of the CIB game. I think that is an area, since we can't get cash flows from our assets, forced appreciation is something to think about. And I'll just plant that seed for you. Based on inflation, you're going to have to build in a margin of safety. And obviously, taxes, inflation, and appreciation are some things to take a look at. The other thing that I think is naturally happening across the board for everybody is liquidation. I'm getting hit up every day. I want to sell my collection. I'm ready to sell at losses. I've even sold a couple things near break even already this year. Our eBay store is down 70% in terms of uh, volume compared to Q4 2021. But uh, our social media um, action is up. But I'll tell you, the margins are much thinner in 2022 compared to 2021. So the party is over. That means the good news is there's buying opportunities. Um, you might be able to buy an entire collection. I think this is the perfect time to start buying collections 
if you are looking to fill out a complete collection or if you own a retro game shop or let's say you're a show warrior like the doctor um you know and you're a hoarder because you have a side business where you sell 10 things a day on amazon mercari ebay or whatever so when you when you absorb a collection into your collection it's actually inventory and you may be able to write that off um, there's tax benefits. Talk to your tax professional about the safe harbor rules and then uh, cash versus accrual accounting. The new 1099K rule is basically telling me that every single one of my listeners now is in business for themselves. Uh, whether you filed or not before, you're going to be filing in 2022. And that's another podcast I hope to talk about is how to choose your accounting rule, how to decide whether you're going to be a hobby or a real business, how to decide if you're going to do losses, um, startup costs how to decide what type of category your business is, how to decide what city, state, county you're going to run your business from because everything trickles down from there. So liquidating into cash on the selling collection, the opportunity side is buying, but if you're looking to sell your collection, you're going to have to take less. Right now, you're going to have to drop your prices. I'm running auctions at the bare, bit, bare bottom right now because I'm going to be, I moved out of state and auctions work when you're on the road because if you run an auction without a buy it now, you can take a business trip and generate revenues while you're on the road because you can guarantee you're not going to sell anything for at least seven to 10 days. And then you might get some revenues by the time you get back. So that's another thing is liquidate into cash and have that dry powder, that war chest for when that 98A++ pops up that you've been wanting last year or the year before and couldn't find or couldn't afford and now maybe someone's going to let one go and they're going to give you a good deal with that said you're going to need some patience and i think that's probably that's probably one of the last things i'm going to talk about i think it's easy to get excited i've seen in clubhouse some really rabid buying over the last couple of weeks because the prices have been soft and in, in uh Clubhouse Heritage. Um, I wouldn't say the prices have crashed, but I would say that a lot of games are down well over 20%, which suggests we're in a bear market in video games. And it might have started, let's say, November. Maybe July was when the bubble popped, and we're now in a bear market. I can now look back and say that Carl was onto something. I was wrong when I said we are not in a bubble. I was measuring the market cap. If you measure the market cap, we probably may not have data that supports a crash yet because the amount of graded games is increasing exponentially, especially since today, WADA announced DVD <clears throat> cases are flowing. So the market cap, which is how I just measured the NASDAQ, the S&P 500, and um, the Dow Jones, that, that's measured in market cap. Same with the balance sheet. That's market cap. When you measure the market cap, when you when you convert a raw PS2 game that was on eBay for $50 and you convert it to $200, even though it was $1,000 last year, but you're going to get $200 for it this year, you still 4X the market cap contribution to the overall video game market. And that's the problem. And I hope we can solve that with some sort of index of goats because the market cap might not be in a crash situation yet but i can guarantee there's many 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 positions or specific grades of video games that have crashed beyond 20 40 percent so with that said patience
patience, patience, patience. If you're, if you're waiting for that specific 9.4A++ or that 9.2A or that 9.6A++, just take a step back, do some research, build a spreadsheet, search TerraPeak, do your research, search Heritage, search all the population data, build, build your curves, look at your medians, and decide on your target price. And the, and the secret is have a little patience. It's really hard to stop buying video games. I basically tried and couldn't do it. So what I did is I told myself, well, I'm going to put myself instead of a four game limit or a three game limit on Heritage every week, I'm down to a one game limit. I'm not going to stop buying, but I'm going to cut down from a 12 pack of beer down to, you know, maybe a, a, a glass of wine every night. If you're talking about cutting out alcohol or caffeine or tobacco, you can't just cold turkey. So it's okay to buy games, but just tone it down. Buy 4X less, 5X less. This is going to crash the market, right? Well, the market's already crashing. So as long as you're submitting games, increasing that market cap, you're still growing the hobby. So there's two ways to look at the bubble. And with that said, if you find yourself in a loss situation like I have in sports cards for decades, I mean, just today I'm shipping a sports card for a couple bucks more than I bought it for. So after fees, I'm going to take a net loss on my taxes. And that's called tax loss harvesting. So with depreciation, you're going to be able to kick the can down the road. And if you can still file your tax return for 2021, what you can do is do some things to where you can shift your income and you can tax loss harvest in the following year with inventory depreciation, maybe a traditional IRA. You can lower your tax in one year and then increase it in another year. And then that in that other year, you can decrease your taxes with tax loss harvesting. So one thing you can control, you can't control the market, but you can control when you take a loss. So let's say you're sitting on some losses, some you know positions that have gone south. Don't focus on the weather. Don't focus on all the negativity out there. Focus on Let's do a family business meeting. Let's decide what kind of business we're in. Are we in a hobby business? That means we can't take losses. We're in a real business. We can take losses. Then you ask yourself, when and how many losses do we want? And it's up to you. You're the master, right? So keep that in mind. Use those tactics. You can trade. You can follow inflation. You can liquidate. You can do cash, tax loss, harvesting. Use some patience. And you can become a master. If you can combine that with predicting record breakers and record setters, because like Kramer said, there's a bull market somewhere. Thank you for listening. And I apologize for the lack of content recently, but I had to let the bubble deflate to be able to drop this because we're in a new chapter. And like Fletro Retro says, collect what you love. But remember, you are now in business. So play life like a video game. Get up after failure. Stand up. Push through these setbacks. And you can become a collecting master.